Welcome to Shop Talk Live, episode number 230. This week, I am joined by editor, creative director, Mike Pekovich, and associate editor, Anissa Kapsalis. We've got a bunch of really good questions from the listeners for you guys today, and we have a really interesting conversation about what we feel helped us take that leap from beginner woodworker to intermediate woodworker. Interesting answers from Anissa and Mike. I want to let everyone know about a new series that we're starting to publish. It's going to be trickling out a little bit slower than we're used to on finewoodworking.com because of COVID. We are doing a series with Tom McLaughlin making a shaker dresser from design to finish. It's not going to be showing every single step of the process like we have in the past. Instead, we're going to be focusing in on individual elements along the process. And the rest of it will be covered in an article in Fine Woodworking Magazine. It's a new thing for us. We're really excited about it. The first episode is out right now if you head to finewoodworking.com or I'll post a link in the show notes below. Tom's great and the project's great and we're having a lot of fun with it. So check it out. All right, on with the show after a word from our sponsors. Whether you're working in the shop or on the job site, it's not a debate that dust extraction is incredibly important. That's why Festool USA has continued to innovate ways to deliver top-tier dust extraction solutions, as best seen in Festool's new CT48AC. This machine is designed to capture high volumes of dust and keep the job progressing with its 12.7 gallon capacity and continue operating at its peak efficiency with its automatic cleaning mechanism. The versatile CT48AC syncs with Festool tools via Bluetooth for seamless operation and is also OSHA Table 1 compliant for materials containing silica dust and it is well suited for a diverse set of job site tasks while limiting downtime for emptying filter bags due to its large capacity. Backed by the company's three-year wear and tear warranty, the CT48AC is built for the toughest demands. For information, visit festoolusa.com slash fall2020. Not much going on this holiday season? Join Fine Woodworking Unlimited. With more than 40 years of content, we promise to sharpen your skills and keep you entertained through the holidays and beyond. We have a lot of questions from people named Kyle this episode and i went back and i checked and they are well one kyle sneak snuck two questions into his question um but then there's another kyle believe it or not we have two kyles out of twenty thousand people there's two people named kyle um so i wanted to start off with a little open conversation uh that is inspired by part of kyle one's uh question and this is vague, but in your early years, what leveled you up from beginner to intermediate in confidence level and or ability? Talk about a vast question. What's what's the thing? And one reason why I wanted to cover this is a lot of woodworkers, you know, we do surveys, we do all of that stuff. People identify themselves as a beginner woodworker or an intermediate woodworker. What is, what is the intermediate woodworker? Hmm. What, what was that turning point for you, Anissa? Oh, chuck it right onto me. Um, I, I'm still a beginner. I don't know. 
That's not true. <laughs> no, I do no. know. I do know that um, when I went out to the Krenov School, making like heaps and heaps of mistakes in front of people, <laughs> and then while it was humiliating and like mortifying and really daunting, but then fixing those mistakes in front of all those people and making something really pretty at the end of it, that was pretty helpful in the whole process. But I definitely consider myself a beginner. When, (laughs) when you went to our first off universally, you're not a beginner, but um, it's okay that you feel that way, but nobody else does. Um, were you, wait, Kyle def- identifies me as Anissa smooth, smooth, kept <laughs> 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 so, I, I think Kyle agrees with you. <laughs> yeah, it's coming up later. Uh, <laughs> it's just nobody retells them better than you, Anissa. <laughs> you bring it upon yourself. Um, when when you went out to the Krenov School, mm-hmm. were you an experienced woodworker or were you? No, I was a beginner then too. Okay. <laughs> so I, mean, I, I had I had some experience. Um, I had worked with um, a really great furniture maker, Eric Kyle, for a number of months. I had done a lot of fine, like not fine, but home building stuff for probably a decade before that. Um, I wasn't, I knew how to use all the machines. I had taken a class or two with Bob Van Dyke. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wasn't a total beginner. Okay. Well, so the, the, the ability to fix your mistakes, maybe. I I think it's huge. That's a a stepping stone. Mm -hmm. Um, Confidence level, I would say, yeah, the ability to fix mistakes or accept mistakes, too. Like, to say, oh, that was dumb, and then just move on. Um, That was big for me, because it used to be, oh, that was dumb, I'm horrible, I should sell all my machines and never do this again. Um, And now it's like, I make the mistake and go, oh, you idiot. And that's it. And I try and fix it. Mike, what do you remember of? Uh, or, that, or did you just did you just start? As, I as threw a the question to Anissa because she went to like a, a woodworking program, college level woodworking program as well. Um, and for me, I don't know if it was when I went from whatever beginner to intermediate, or whatever the question was, but like a, a real groundbreaking thing for me was my first kind of basics class in a woodworking class in college, where the first assignment was to take a, like a rough piece of two by four and then with a joiner and planer and table saw, mill it down to exactly one inch thick by whatever, three inches wide by 12 inches long with square edges and ends and everything. And just going through that process, because I'd done a a lot of goofing around making stuff ever since like forever. But that notion of having that complete control over taking a kind of a a rough piece of wood and and bringing it down to exact dimension and seeing how it was like the step-by-step process, there was a logic to it. 
um, that opened the door for me to like everything that, that came beyond that. So I think it was just that sort of that discovery of this sense of control and precision you can have over this sometimes stubbornly, you know, natural product that we work with. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That that or, or when my first book got published. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That does lend a, a certain amount of clout to your, <laughs> your woodworking persona. Uh, yeah. Um, I think comfort with the machines too. And has a lot to do with the confidence level. I guess soon now I know how all the machines work. I'm not nervous around them. Um, that was definitely a stepping stone too, or a, a milestone. Um, Being and, sharp that, that in the hand tool. World, uh, yeah. Knowing then, yeah. sharp. Right. And I remember for me, I remember what it was, when it was where like I picked up a chisel that I hadn't sharpened in a month or whatever. And I picked it up and, and it was that sound. And I was Mm. like, you sharpened the crap out of this. That was great. You know, and knowing that I can get my hand tools sharp when I need them sharp, um, that brought confidence level up. That's really good. So like, when was, do you remember the first time that you actually used a really sharp hand plane? Yes. When you handed me one. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's not why I asked you that. It was like. <laughs> um, no, because there was. Uh, and I. I think when I started working here, I would have considered myself an intermediate. Um, but I don't think I was. I think I'm a solid intermediate now. Um. And experts are the people that I point cameras at. Um, But the second or third day on the job, we went down to the shop and you, you, we were at lunch or something. You said, how confident are you in sharpening? I was like, and you're like, all right, come on. And we went down and took the, the number four at, at the shop. And ground it, sharpened it, and then you handed me like an extra set of stones, I think, that you had lying around. And but you set it up, we got it sharp, you set the plane up, and I took one swipe with it, and it was it was a light bulb moment where it was, oh, this is this is the goal now. Um, but it took me a while until I could get there myself. Right. But I I didn't have that that high water mark. Um, yeah, you knew what to shoot for. I think yeah. that's probably the most the hardest thing to achieve if you're just trying to do this on your own. Yeah. So you go through all the steps, and then you still not sure if that's exactly what it that recipe should taste like. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've, you've been to a restaurant where it tastes correct. It's hard to know what to shoot for. Yeah. That was my College of the Redwoods connection. Um, when I first came to the magazine, one of my first travel photo shoots is I went out with, at that time, our director of photography to College of the Redwoods to photograph James Krenov for the cover. And the article was David Welter making a wooden hand plane. And then there's a little side piece on James Krenov waxing poetic about the 
playing, hand playing being the violin of woodworking tools or something like that. But it was working with David Welter who handed me the hand playing, you know, from the photo shoot and I took a shaving and it was just like, you know, of course I, it didn't occur to me that the magic of the hand playing was that it was just sharp. I just assumed it was like, oh, a, a Kranov style wooden hand playing is like the greatest tool in the world. And it sort of took a, a little while after that before I equated the fact that it, no, it was just really sharp. I mean, it was still a nice plane, but um, that that got me started on that. So, so okay. So we have we have ability to fix mistakes or identify and fix, fix mistakes, and then Anissa's comfort with the tools, be they machine or hand tools. Those are two huge things to me. Yeah, that like once you once you're there. And well, then getting sharp because that's the gateway skill for hand tool work. But that's comfort with with hand tools, wouldn't it be? Well, it's yeah. it's using hand tools effectively. Period. I think mm. like that's the most critical skill. I mean, that for me opened up an entire world of hand tools. I, I mean, I could get a chisel sharp enough to chop dovetails, you know, and I sharpened my block plane. I mean, this was like for years since college before I, I came to find woodworking where I was, you know, power tools. So I knew how to cut dovetails and I did a lot of sanding. I knew I used a scraper that was never really sharp. And I used a block plane that I sharpened once every six months or something. But, and that was just normal. You could still do really good work, but, you know, getting sharp all of a sudden opened up a completely different world. So I think that was a different stage as well. Mm. Anissa, you have anything else? Uh, Mike, you mentioned you kind of just, stepped into like the the kitchen metaphor for a second. And that's kind of, I, I was thinking something similar, you know, um, or to me, a really good cook is somebody who can walk into a kitchen without a recipe, look at what's there and create something that's pretty magical and tasty. And, um, yeah. and it looks effortless and take that skill set into the woodworking shop. And that's a little bit like, you can walk into the to the wood shop and an idea can pop in your head and you can use the machines that are there and you can use the wood that you have and you can create this like magical thing and it's not super stressful it's fun it's enjoyable it's you know that i feel like that's where i am not not in the kitchen but in the, in the wood shop like if i if an idea pops into my head, I can just go in there and make it happen. I'm not stressing out about how I'm going to make it happen. I know that there's a way I can make it happen, and then I just make it happen. Or for me, that same thing is saying, okay, I need to make a mortise and not having one way to make a mortise. Having, which is, oh, do I want to take it to the drill press? Oh, there's something, the drill press is got stuff piled on it. Let me just pull out a router bushing and, you know, like, like having more than one method for each, uh, yeah. Thing you, you need to do right. so that you can, if, if something's off on a machine or whatever, if you don't want to sharpen that chisel, you, you go somewhere else. Yeah. And that that's, I guess that comes back to confidence as well. Yeah, it's like if you're first starting out and you don't really know the quote-unquote correct way to do something or build something, 
the sky's the limit in terms of like the construction solutions you come up with. Like, it's like, wow, how did you even think of that? <laughs> it's just because, but then it's sort of the next step is like, well, if you learn sort of like the correct way to make a table with four aprons and four legs, then, you know, once you know the correct way, you can get inadvertently locked into a really, really narrow path of woodworking. Like you said, Ben, if you know one way to cut a mortise or one way to make a table, then all of a sudden your design options get super narrow until you build more and try new things and try different variations. And then all of a sudden your palette expands again, but this time with more control over what you're doing as opposed to just firing scattershot, not knowing what you're doing to getting proficient in a really narrow way, then to broadening your proficiency to where it becomes creative and intuitive again. So it's kind of this full circle. Um, so Yikes. that yeah. pretty much nailed it, right? Yeah. <sighs> right on. Well, okay. So, I'm going to read the rest of Kyle's question because sometimes people make it easy and write the promo copy for us. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that pretty much covered Kyle number one. Uh, but uh, good morning, Ben, the Uke Strano, the boss. And he's got work dad on his thing, <laughs> what we call him. And Anissa Smooth Move Copsalis. Otherwise known as Idaho Spud. <laughs> Thank you, Rex Hansen. <laughs> uh, regarding the question from the gentleman stuck in a hotel for six months, I'm surprised there wasn't one obvious answer given. Right? If, as soon as I read this, I was just like, oh, he's right. Yeah. I know, but we can't say that. Yeah. It's better when other people say it. Yeah. If I had six months stuck in a hotel room, I would probably delve into the Fine Woodworking Unlimited membership and soak in every single video and article that I could dream of. I almost broke into an ed. <laughs> <laughs> you you want to know what's really – my kid has like some – book membership and they can read you the books and one of the the narrators or one of the the book readers sounds exactly like ed pernick hmm. and i'll be like in the other room and be like is he listening to an old shop talk <laughs> <laughs> even my kid likes the ed years um uh back to kyle it's quiet it hones the craft and i could hear other people's voices if it got too quiet um, so then he went on to, for discussion from the group, I always appreciate the smooth move segment. Uh, what leveled you up for intermediate to confidence or intermediate in confidence level or ability? So we, we covered Kyle's question. I got a little confused there and copying pasting. I apologize about that. Um, so yeah, I'd say we thoroughly went over that now from Kyle number two. I like this one a lot. Me too. I'm super excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> we actually have a really good set of questions today. I was excited about this podcast. Uh, from Kyle number two. I've been wanting to experiment with bending wood for a while now. I've noticed that there seems to be two main approaches to doing this. Steam bending and hot pipe bending. I can't seem to find information that compares the two methods, though. Are there scenarios where one method is better suited? Any pros and cons to one way over the other? 
I'd love to hear your thoughts on this before I go off buying and building things. You've done both, Ben, right? Yeah. So you tell me. I mean, I have an idea, but I want to make sure I'm correct before I say, yeah, I knew that. So um, I think hot pipe bending, you're only going to be able to do wood. I don't think I would do more than a quarter of an inch. And I meant to look this up beforehand. Um, I'm going to go to finewoodworking.com and go into search and hot pipe bending. And I think Michael Fortune is going to say the magic of hot pipe bending. I think Michael Fortune is going to say around a quarter of an inch. What do you think? Three-eighths of an inch. Thickest piece that can be bent via hot pipe bending is three-eighths of an inch. So thin stuff. And where do you use it? Like on your ukulele sides? I use it on ukulele sides. I used to use it on ukulele liners. Um, So hot pipe bending to me is more, it's really, really organic. It's like you are physically doing the bending. Um, When you are done and the wood cools down in your hands, it's pretty much there. It's not going to move after the fact. What's your setup? So like in terms of like, how do I get this pipe hot? And like, what kind of pipe am I using? And how am I using a hot pipe? You are are setting me up because every time I mention this, people will be like, well, you should write a blog about that. And I know, and I just haven't had time. I have a... um, I have a incandescent tube light bulb, I think a hundred watt or 150 watt incandescent tube bulb that you get from 1000bulbs.com uh, seems to be the go-to place uh, in a piece of black pipe. So I have a black pipe flange mounted to a board. Um, I have a two inch flange, uh, get it at the hardware store. And then a piece of two inch black pipe that goes in there um, that goes around the light bulb. If I'm doing a really tight bend, I can get a, I use a reducer bushing and I can get a inch and a half piece over that bulb as well. And I just stuff uh, steel wool in the end to keep too much heat from coming out, but it'll get up to, it'll get up. It'll, it'll get up to like 400 degrees in, a few minutes and you're just bending the wood around this thing. Are you wetting the wood first spray bottle wet? Yeah. Oh really? Okay. Um, yeah. So you just, and that just helps the steam helps deliver the heat more okay. efficiently and helps you from burning the wood. Um, if you're doing uh, highly figured wood, they, they recommend not spraying it down. Um, I think it might soften uh, the figure too much. But uh, that's, again, that's with really thin, like, instrument sides. So uh, for most woodworkers, you, you, you might not see that much of a difference between wetting it down and not wetting it down. But I keep just a little spray bottle. So um, I have steam bent thinner stuff, uh, around eighth of an inch. Um, now, also on that hot pipe bender, I do have, I have been experimenting with, I have a thermocouple uh, plugged into it and like a little thermostat, little doodad, just because I'm a tinkerer guy. And so I can actually dial in the temperature I want and it will cycle the bulb on and off, um, which is awesome. Um the uh, most people will just use a propane torch into the back of a piece of pipe in okay. a vice. 
you want to use black pipe, not galvanized pipe. Uh, galvanized pipe, which is more common in the hardware store, galvanized pipe will uh, off-gas. The galvanization will off-gas around 400 degrees, and you can't possibly get up there. So be careful with that. And okay. That'll just straight up kill you. So um, hot pipe bending lecture via ben, the uke stranum. You should you should do a blog on that, Ben. I know. Really? My, I, I, I need to dial in. Like, I don't like doing things until – I don't like putting things out there for public consumption until I feel like they're as dialed in as I can make it. Yeah, so, I can see that. Uh, so Steve Latta um, did an article on um, organic inlay a little while ago, and he did a small version of hot pipe, hot pipe bending where – you just had like a plug-in, maybe a little um, a soldering iron or something. Yeah, a little soldering iron. And so he was he was taking his inlay um, around that and bending it, pre-bending it before he would put it in the in the grooves that he routed. Um, it's really smart, simple, good good little method of. Kevin Rodell did uh, some hot pipe bending in for his the, bed inlay in the bed inlay. Too, okay, um, possibly. Or were we going to do a three? The three people who are on that shoot are here, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> were we going to do that, and we decided to simplify and just have him do? Uh, um, Didn't he yeah, glue up really he, thin he, laminations? He did, yeah, he did. He did. He did laminated. Yeah. Right. Which is one of the things that this Kyle didn't mention for bending. He didn't mention bent laminations as one of his options, unless I missed it. Oh, no. Maybe he does not want to bend and laminate. I don't know. Oh, but mm-hmm. they're, they're, I, I don't know. I guess we should talk about the Brian Boggs thing. Yeah. Right? Brian Boggs, he wrote a trio of articles on curves for us. So he did sawn curves, bent lamination and then steam bent curves. So no. that's like, that's the whole book right there. Yeah. And, yeah, and wait, the, the one of those articles is coming out right now, right? Like in 287, it, is, I think. Oh, yeah. So the steam bending is the most recent. So if that's not out, it's out any minute. December 16th, two weeks. Oh, okay. So, um, that's a really cool article. I um, got to do one of the rounds on that, and I was just blown away by that article. It was really cool. Yeah. Um, if... If we're going to compare steam bending and hot pipe bending, to me, steam bending is more organic and immediate. If if your wood's a thickness that you can, or I'm sorry, hot pipe bending is more organic and immediate. You just, I have a piece of wood, I want to bend it, boom, I can bend it, I'm done. Hot pipe bending or steam bending, ugh, steam bending, got to get the steamer going. That takes an hour. Um yeah, I just bought a steamer. I did my whole, not my first foray into steam bending, but probably the first time in 20 years that I've done that. So I got my little steamer. Like you buy this special steamer through a woodworking catalog, and then you realize it's just a wallpaper steamer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when the first one sort of blew up and I had to send it back, I just went to Home Depot and got a wallpaper steamer. Sure enough, exactly the same thing. So, <laughs> so. Um, uh, you recently steamed the legs or, uh, the feet of a, I did a little case on stand where the legs, um, 
had a very slight curve to them, which I steam bend those and use just a really basic bending form. I kind of stole the form that Elia Bazzari used in his little table article with uh, it looks sort of like a Windsor chair table, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it does somehow. Yes. Yeah. And then I had um, curved kind of arch stretchers, which were a little bit tighter curve. And there I made just MDF bending forms that I could clamp the piece to. Um, and the biggest sort of rude awakening, and I had to, cause you know, we, we've done a million articles. So if I don't like the way, if someone says you have to use air dried wood, I'll look for an article that says, no, you can use kiln dried wood. <laughs> and so, but then there's this one where everyone said, okay, leave it in the form to dry for a week. It's like, what? No, 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 no. Someone else is not going to say we sure enough, everybody said not let it dry for a week. So I let it dry for three or four days. Called it good. Caveat? Yes. If you have a kiln, hmm. stick it in the kiln. So I made my kiln big enough that I could put f- the whole form in. And uh, I there's there's a thing that I do with ukulele liners where I I actually steam them. I hot pipe bend them and I uh, glue them up. I do a bent lamination, but um, if you if you steam bend something and your 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 form and everything can fit in your kiln, oh my goodness! After a couple hours at like 140 degrees, or the the night at 140 degrees. You pull that thing out and there is no movement. There is nothing. Mm. Um, and I know that David DeYard, um, he has an area in his shop, like behind a stairway or something that he'll stick, um, he'll stick a, uh, a, a space heater and put his bending forms or his drying forms, I should say. I think he bends and then puts them in a drying form or whatever. Yeah. But he puts them back there behind the stairway with the space heater on and it does the same thing. It just, it really locks it in. So cool. And you can, you can do it in a day then. Okay. Right on that. We need to write that as an article so I can just look at that and justify my not waiting for a whole week next time. Get, get on it, David. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I mean, we're doing really well with promotion right now. So we had Kyle one's awesome read and we just like talked up about like seven articles Wait. in a 15 minute time span. but there's more, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> so I have, I have a couple oldies to throw in there, but I also have some more recent stuff. So I spent about an hour last night looking for this book at my house and I had it here at my desk. Um, if we're talking about, Ben, I have two books, um, Bending Wood. So the Tafe Frid series on book number two, Mm -hmm. holy cow, shaping, veneering, finishing, but his whole, the whole first chapter is on bending wood, steam bending, laminations, doesn't really do the hot pipe bending. He mentions um, curf bending, but kind of Mm. quickly, Um, but he talks about how to clamp, how to make your clamps, what kind of wood to use. And it's so, um, it's such, it's so simply written and the language is just, you could tell he was a teacher. It's just straight to the point. It, it's not confusing in any way. 
But so that's not the one that I was looking for. But this is an amazing, that whole series is amazing. I don't know if this is available. That one's still available, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if this one, um, Fine Woodworking on Bending Wood, um, is available. So that's probably just a tear sheet book. This one, yeah. So we probably have all of these articles in the unlimited membership. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But this, so many things on kerfing and hot pipe bending and bent laminations. This is just, if you want to start bending wood, this is a go-to. I'm sure you can get a hold of it somewhere if we don't, if it's out of print for us, which Mm. I'm sure it is. But then um, two kind of more recent articles are Haida Martin's table, that indigo dyed table. That's all um, bent laminations and really cool the way she's clamping um, the way she's figuring out the dimensions as you go narrower in the circle. Um, but then also Yuri Kobayashi did a designer's notebook. Oh yeah. She's like the master of bending. And when I went to photograph that, I just assumed that we were going, it was at the center for furniture craftsmanship and she was in the fellows building and she had a bench there and I just assumed when it got to the bending part, we were going to go in the main shop somewhere. And we didn't. She just said, no, I can do it right here. And I said, you're going to you're gonna do all the bending for that here? And she said, yeah. And I, I was looking for this massive steam box. And she had this little Erlex steam box thing i'll send you some photos ben or some some links or something and then she just had poly tubing right there it was so fast and so simple to get this thing set up and she just shoved the strips of wood in there and did it right at her bench and like within minutes this whole she it was amazingly simple and very cool yeah and i was just looking at all the outs from that um from that article and there are some really cool shots that i can i can forward you cool. right on we'll, we'll, we'll have to post this on, on instagram too that uh, yeah yuri's work she's oh my goodness yeah. but, and this might come back a little bit to the first question kyle one's question for me part of like that whole progression as a woodworker was when i stopped thinking rectilinearly rect- you know what i'm saying um and started thinking oh this needs to be bent or this needs to be curved uh, so when you become comfortable with shaping wood, uh, outside of straight lines off of a table saw, but who said, who said a straight board is a wasted opportunity? Um, was that Hank Gilpin? Uh, no, it was, um, Oh God. Another RISD guy. Um, Jerry. Jerry okay. Oh, Hank said like every curve is going to cost you. In terms of commission work, <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. Guy. <laughs> uh, all right, so um, tell you what, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll uh, cover. I've got a smooth move. I do too. Ooh. Yeah. All right. Here's a fan favorite, Gary Rogowski from the Northwest Woodworking Studio, here to tell you about their new online mastery program. Thanks, Ben. 
The online mastery program is a new distance learning version of our mastery classes that have run now for 20 years. We train folks in both design and furniture making techniques using a full kit of tools from hand to power tools. Our goal is to teach people how to make great furniture. Over our two years together, people will design and build 11 pieces. Students work from their own shops, meeting online with me for three trimesters each year with weekly lectures, videos, and discussions. Our first online group started in the fall, and it's been great. I want to point out that this program is not just for seasoned woodworkers, though. We take on all levels but true beginners, anyone with a desire to deepen their understanding of the craft and who commit to building a lot of great work. The requirement is that you work from your own shop with your tools and a good internet connection and camera so you can join our class each week on Zoom. Invest in yourself. Invest in your education. If you love this podcast, you'll love Fine Woodworking Unlimited. Access more than 40 years of articles, how-to videos, and project plans designed to take your craft to the next level. Check it out. All right, so moving on to uh, segments. We've got two smooth moves and a... And a, um, I don't know what this would fall under. Oh man! What you need to go last? I think. Okay. Well, if you no. can't even identify it's, what. No, it's not that exciting. Okay. Maybe I should go first. Let me sure. go first. So, um, one of the things that I've been doing over the last couple of months is really plugging away at getting um, my my shop organized and clean and um. So my, the footprint of my shop is 20 by 24 and, um, I couldn't go out beyond that. So when we were building, I bumped up a second floor. It was just seemed cost effective. And so this has nothing to do with the segment, but I, so my whole shop, the first floor, the second floor, it's all huge mess, um, for multiple reasons. And I'm really getting on top of it now, but so I have this Laguna bench that I got from um, Laguna was selling off at one point years and years ago, probably 15 years ago. And I got a good deal on it. So I took it despite the fact that it had a trough. I, I don't like the trough. I guess that's a whole nother conversation, trough or no trough. But I just, I finally decided that um, Based on something that I saw David Welter on David Welter's bench, he made these beautiful little redwood boxes that go in his trough. And um, um, so I made something similar to that. And it's these segmented boxes that go and they have like a lid that sits flush with the top of the bench or just a little bit down. Um, And then I put little handles not handles like recessed poles to pop up the the the, the, lids. the lids sorry on these boxes i feel like so conspicuous in my cube <laughs> so loudly and there's nobody even in here um so that's that's not a technique and it's not i don't know what you would call it but i highly recommend doing that if you don't like your trough because it it's awesome. You have more bench space. You can store little things that you want close by, but you don't want out and that you don't use that often. That's cool. And it's just, it's helped me keep the top of my bench clean. And I'm really excited about them. And I didn't mess up anything making them. 
I have a I have a trough in one of my benches and um that I stole from the old shop and I don't like my trough. Hate the trough. But it always has stuff in it. And every now and then I'll go, oh, that trough. And they'll go, well, where would you put all that stuff? Or like where I'll just walk? randomly shove stuff in the trough. Right. And then I, I have a hesitation and think, I think you're hooked on the trough. Like, I, I think I need that trough. You don't I don't like it. it, but I need it. You don't need it. I think like the whole shop is this way, but especially a little tool well in a in a bench, it's sort of the squatter's rights where if there's like a little object, <laughs> even if it doesn't belong there, if it's there long enough, that's where it lives and you can never move it. In my trough right now is you know those standing cleaning sticks, the what are they oh, called? Yeah. The, the it's the like gum the gum rubber of stick or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's always one in there. Those things are, who invented those things? Those things are so cool. They really are. Hmm. I love them. <sighs> Do you want to go next or you want me to go? What's your smooth move, man? My smooth move is so right, right there and there. There are two uh, speakers that I built. We just finished up filming your video workshop, your hanging wall cabinet video workshop, Mike. And um, I built them using a lot of the methods in that series. And I finished one and I took all the speaker parts out of like a cheap set of Radio Shack speakers I had lying around. And there's like a Bluetooth amplifier and everything that I bought from somewhere for 35 bucks. And, you know, so really high quality components. And, uh, you know, I have a $1,500 set of speakers here and I expected that to compete somehow. But, um, I built one speaker and dry assembled the other and plugged it in and said, this sounds like garbage. I don't want to finish this anymore. So they sat there for like right there in next to my other pile of garbage for a year or two. And uh, recently my son has started listening to music that I kind of wish he was in his room listening to. Because <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> um, so I thought, oh, he needs speakers. Oh, I have those speakers and he doesn't know the difference. And so I figured I'd finish them. Um, so the other night I glued up the other, the last speaker and it's a little bit of a complicated glue up. There's through tenons on the bottom, uh, um, dovetails on the top, very Pekovich. And, um, so I, I glue it up. I didn't rehearse it at all. Cause I just wanted to get it done. And, I wound up moving a bunch of clamps in the process. It was, I put these clamp, I clamped this up and then realized, oh, I need those clamps for this area. So I, I pull clamps off and move them around and everything. And at some point I had this up high on the bench, standing on clamps that were too long and I'm just tightening them down and I hear a little pop. It was like, eh whatever something moved well i 
I pull it out of the clamps yesterday to um, clean up the dovetails and flush everything up. And where I had one of the clamps just totally applied pressure to one end and I just totally tweaked a whole board or a, an edge of a board. It broke off. And the only problem is it was a speaker. So there's a groove with the back that is sealed in there. And normally you would take that clamp off and the board would come back and you'd put filler on it or something and it'd be okay. This though is glued in place, broken. So the speakers sound like crap. Now they look like crap, but that's what we have. And my son will one day see that his father is not that great of a woodworker after all, Uh, but it's not going to be when he's seven. Oh, well, well, Lego dubstep sounds good coming through any speaker side. (laughs) So I'm sure that's fine. My son's taste in music is all inspired by Red Bull soundtracks. Oh, Oh. One of those like skate or BMX videos or something. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like mountain biking. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you got, Mike? Right um, well, I apologize in advance for probably the next four months worth of techniques and smooth moves and greatest whatever all time because um, if you've listened to like podcasts years back, where it was really apparent when one of the podcast members um, kind of was working on the same project. So every single smooth move for like six months had to do around this same project. It's like, dude, you're still making that. Wow. Not mentioning any names on the air. I'll mention them later. Um, anyway, I can't pin it down. So, Oh, Okay, uh, maybe it's too obscure. You'll go back. Anyway, this, I believe, is is one of those things where I think this is my first whatever segment having to do with um, a new book that I'm writing. So um, while it may be novel now, four months from now, you're like, dude, really, are you not done with that yet? So anyway, um, my is smooth it, move. Is it a woodworking novel? It, it's a It's a novella. So um, I was uh, photographing different ways to make a groove, like a panel groove in a door frame. And I had a little wing cutter at the router table. So it looks like a, you know, a mini dado blade on its side. It has a, has a pair of wings that stack up on a shaft and you can put washers in between to change the width of that groove minutely. Um, so I had that all set up and I was uh, routing a little stopped groove in a, door frame style and this is a bit i've had like forever so it isn't like i went out and bought a brand new one and it was dubious about how well it was going to cut anyway but i was going to get a decent photo of it so i kind of you know i i kind of um put the board in you know start the cut in the mortise in the mortise itself so it doesn't cut and then you start to push through to kind of cut this uh, panel groove and it's like kind of tough it keeps wanting to come away from the fence and i keep like jamming it in there and it's kind of burning a little bit and i'm just gonna like force this thing through so i got about maybe three inches into the cut 
I said, well, wait, this, this bit is completely burnt. So I took it out and I flipped it around to look and inside, like to the bottom of the groove, half of the groove, there's one stripe, which is like wood looks really nice. And then the other stripe is like pure black charred wood. It's like, well, one of these cutters is something is wrong with it. So I looked at it and yeah, one of the cutters was backwards. The, the proverbial. <laughs> <laughs> so, proverbial oh, I was you hoping know. he was going there. I was oh, praying. God. And it just like, you know, but I was just going to man up and just, just run this through. And it's just like, Oh, okay. Never mind. So what worked out really well is I, as I took the little bolt off uh, the nut off and I flipped that cutter around and it worked great. So <laughs> if that ever happens, just turn it around. But so then I had to go back and I had to, you know, cause there's a lot of steps, you know, a lot of photos about, Oh, set the bit height, set the distance between the, <laughs> the bit to the fence. And so I kind of had to reshoot everything, but at the same time, I just wanted to leave a shot in somewhere with one of the cutters, obviously <laughs> backwards, just as an Easter egg, because I knew it was going to bother someone 10 years from now looking through and looking at that. And yeah, we'd like, you knew it would bother you 10 years from now. Uh, no, I would No, somebody would find it. Yeah. No, I would, you know, if I'm. I would like that. I mean, if it were a mistake, it would right. absolutely kill me. But if I did it on purpose, I would just waiting for that call. So anyway, yeah, get those cutters uh, flipped around the right way and they're going to work a lot better. Uh, so. When I was at, in college, uh, one of the teachers in the recording department told me that just about any shot in mix magazine which at the time was was the magazine there's always something plugged in the wrong spot on purpose oh that's funny um, so or or it'd be like you know uh, a guitar cable run into the bell of a saxophone so it just makes you go what why is that there you know so there <laughs> you go you could do that and i did that with my chainsaw the other day i i got a chainsaw blade or i got all my blades sharpened because i i'm processing a bunch of black locusts which kills blades and hmm. after a while you sharpen them and you just lose the geometry so you got to bring them in and get them sharpened and I put new blade or sharpened blade on i'm sitting there going it's not doing anything and it took me about 10 minutes before i realized i had the blade in backwards wow and, yeah it was probably a really smooth cut it probably just didn't do anything a, yeah it, it got like an inch into it and yeah <laughs> Oh, I was so glad to hear you did that. Yes. First time, I think. Yeah, right. <laughs> Although sometimes, you know, when you put the dado blades in, you're putting the chippers in, and you'll look, it's like, oh, and you flip it around. Because they just look so much more aerodynamic when you put them in the wrong way. They're kind of like sweeping backwards instead of like, like... the way it looks that yes. way. Yeah. <laughs> it's more photogenic. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I think we've got time for one more. And this one is not from a Kyle. This one is from Greg. Uh, I'll be setting up a new shop in the next few months after selling my current house and buying a new one with a better dedicated shop space. If each of you could change one thing about how you set up your shop when you got started, anything from layout to tool purchases, heating and cooling, what would it be and why? And I'm going to throw a caveat on there. We cannot make it bigger. Yeah. Fair. Well, 
mine is kind of a, it's not a make it bigger. Um, so you can tell me if this counts, Ben, because I could come up with a couple other things. I would make a bump out for my dust collector mm-hmm. um, so that it wasn't sitting in the shop space. Um, just something that I can keep it just outside the floor space and then have the ductwork coming in. Wow. What? And that, I mean, that's, a, <laughs> I don't think we're going to beat that. Um, would you have an exterior door? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would make it um, so that it's really easily accessible and, and quick and easy to get, get to the, the container to, um, to change it. But you wouldn't really, it wouldn't, it's not a big deal. It's kind of like a bay window. You're just kind of bumping that one section out and plopping your dust collector in there. It's just takes up so much space and it would be so much quieter and it wouldn't have been a big deal to have figured that in. I keep dreaming of, I, cause I don't have much floor space. And if, if I ever did get a real dust collector, I think I would have to have it in my garage section. But I keep thinking for heating and cooling purposes, not exhausting the climate-controlled air just out into the world and losing that. Having the dust collector in my garage, but routing the filter back into hmm. – so having the filter vent into my shop. Hmm. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, so you're not – Taking hot air and blowing it outside. Yeah. You're bringing it back in. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. But that bump out, because at the old shop, it was so nice when you changed the, yeah. the dust bag. And it was always a problem because nobody, was, ever, changed nobody ever changed it. it. But when you eventually did and you had like three <laughs> bags, but like all of that extraneous dust did not go back into the shop. That would be the biggest thing about a bump out for me with an external door. I like yeah, that idea. That's cool. I um, think I would, and I thought I did this, but I would put way more outlets in than you think you need. And not just more outlets in than you think you need. Hit absurd levels. Like just st- Stupid amount of outlets because I, I mean, I've got them all over the place. I have two circuits running along one, one wall. I have two circuits running along another wall and multiple boxes on each. And it's not enough. Yeah, that's, that's probably a good one. I have kind of the same thing, except for me, it's, when I originally wired my garage, I had just one 220 drop down from the ceiling, one sort of cord that I could plug into my different machines. When I redid, redid my shop, I put a second 220 outlet on the wall near my bandsaw. And then I still had the single drop from the ceiling that fed my joiner, planer, and cable saw. So whenever I need to use one, I've got to go over and unplug one and then plug it into the other. And at first coming from the fine woodworking shop where everything's always plugged in, why would it not be into getting into my new shop? And then it's like, oh, I have to go. This is like the most cumbersome 
thing I've ever done is having to plug and unplug. That was just part of that ritual and it's okay. And I'm really proud of myself when I like anticipate having to use a machine, you know, or you run over to the joiner for a quick thing and then back to the table saw and you realize the joiner is still plugged in sort of a thing. So it would be nice to not have to do that, but I can't necessarily begrudge that or anything in my shop. So rather than say what I would do different, I would just focus on the the few things I actually did right that I think makes it a really livable, workable space in spite of every other shortcoming. And that is um, well insulated. So it's climate controlled 12 months out of the year. Um, if you can get any way to get higher ceilings in the shop, that made a huge difference. I went when going from seven and a half feet to the the bottom of the ceiling joist to you know nine feet plus was huge. Um, tons of light, so high ceiling, well insulated to heat it or cool it economically, and um, plenty of light. That's like you know. I think if you have that, you're in good shape, and then. Throw in Ben's plenty of plugs. I think you have a good shot. Uh, I knew I was hoping you were going to say, I was, I was hoping you were going to say, um, tall ceilings because yeah. I, you really stressed that with me. Cause I think if I had done to the bottom of the, um, what are those called? Jeff collar ties, collar ties. Thank you, Jeff. God, I wish I could always do that. Yeah, I know. Um, if I, w- I would be at about seven and a half feet and, and you were like, no, don't, don't do it. Just, I was like, I have, I'd have to vault the ceiling and go around and you're like, do it, do it. And I, there were months when I, at work, you were cool. And at night when I was working on that ceiling, I hated you. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's drywall and then drywall around the collar ties. And then, you know, it was just like, but Yeah such a difference so what are you like what's your ceiling max now well in the in the center it's probably 10 feet wow okay um but the you know my whole shop has it's a pretty flat roof yeah so yeah so i've got the um my lights right in the center and then uh i don't know what the angles are but i wound up having to vault the ceiling and uh, it was definitely worth it just the presence of the space yes. is much larger yeah definitely um, and i do have a spot where i can lean long boards you know i have to put them in the middle of the shop and lean a long board a 10 or probably a 10 footer yeah. until i break it down right. but uh yeah i'm glad you talked me into that cool. and i wish that anisa had talked me into putting a bump out in for a dust collector I wish Anissa had talked me into building a shop in my backyard. I wish Anissa talked me into putting a second story on my shop, too. So, And Anissa's frozen and just, dis- <laughs> just disappeared. <laughs> she just disappeared. <laughs> All right. So I think on that note. <laughs> <laughs> She's out of here. <laughs> for the video audience, not an edit. Right, Jeff? No. All right. (laughs) (laughs) 
on that note, with the disappearing, reappearing Anissa, I am going to read a couple of um a couple of iTunes reviews. Uh, the website, I copy and paste iTunes reviews from change their format. You can't copy and paste in iTunes. It's really annoying. So I'll just read them straight off iTunes, uh, from game player, 1988. I love listening to the show and always learn something. Appreciate the relaxed atmosphere and the laughs fun show to listen to. Keep up the good work. And then from Tim given love the show, receive good information in a relaxed format. Thank you for those five-star reviews. They really do help. Like five-star reviews do help the show. Um, now we have a five-star review with a one star from Wally, the beer man. I know you meant to give us a five-star review. It's always a good day when the notice that a new shop talk live show has arrived informative, fun, and hosted by some truly good people. One star. You'll learn a bunch and have a good time doing it. <laughs> one star. That's okay. Wally, the beer man. If you can go back, you might want to tweak that. I don't know. But, uh, all right. So, uh, anybody have any random recommendations? No, I, um, I have a random recommendation. I will try and post a link to the time of year when I, uh, reopen my Spotify account, uh, because I have a Christmas playlist that I have been setting up for years now. And I tweak it as I go every single year. And I've got some tweaks to do before I post it for the public, but I have probably the best Christmas playlist in the history of Christmas playlists. It's about 15 hours long. So anybody else? No. All right. All right. So that's all for this episode of shop talk live. If you have any questions you'd like us to answer on the show, send them into shop talk at taunton.com. If you're watching on YouTube, please click that thumbs up button. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thank you for listening. Fine Woodworking is bringing our best instructors right to your home with our shop class webinars. With these virtual workshops, you can watch, listen, ask questions, and enjoy the chats and connections with other woodworkers and our experts. To find out more, go to finewoodworking.com slash shop class. Wait, you all froze. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, you all (laughs) froze. That is so 2020.